Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy. Today, our wonderful guest is Adam Wingard, director of Godzilla vs. Kong. Just to explain the setup of the film, it's Godzilla vs. Kong. Adam Wingard broke out about a decade ago with the smaller scale of horror films, VHS, and You're Next. Godzilla vs. Kong is the biggest thing he's done in terms of scale. Speaking of which, we talk about how tall Godzilla and Kong are, we talk about their respective motivations, and we also talk about the next big uh, face-off style action movie he's going to be doing, a continuation of 1997, I think, 1997's Face-Off, the John Woo classic with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. There is a tiny bit of a spoiler ahead about Godzilla vs. Kong, but you'll know it when we get to it. We um, stake out that territory pretty well. Also, I recommend seeing this movie on the largest screen possible. That's the advice that I got. I instead watched it on a little dinky screen. It was great. I think it would have been even better on a giant screen. So you have the option of seeing this in theaters or on HBO Max starting Wednesday. If it's possible and you feel safe seeing it on a giant screen, by all means, go do that. You deserve it. And now, Adam Wingard, director of Godzilla vs. Kong. Adam Wingard, welcome to Movie Maker. It's such a pleasure to have you here talking about Godzilla versus Kong. Thank you. Absolutely love this movie. The first thing I have to ask, why is Godzilla such a dick? <laughs> well, you know, um, I think it's less of him being a dick for the most part and that, uh, you know, the, the humans are just so small and, and our problems are just so different than his, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, so like in some scenes you could say, Hey, look, he's blowing up all this stuff and, you know, maybe killing, you know, hundreds and thousands of people in some instances, but, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, we're, we're important on this planet, but the, the planet's going to go on with or without us. And, uh, you know, Godzilla's real allegiance is towards the planet Earth, and he's sort of the white blood cells of the planet is one way to look at him. And so if there's collateral damage, he's not really going to lose sleep over it. Doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't like us or he's a bad guy, I don't think necessarily, even though we kind of play a little bit more of him as the heel in this movie. But traditionally, Godzilla has been you know, a lot of different things. I mean, he's a pendulum of a character. I mean, he started out bad. He's gone from that to good. And then he swung back to bad again. And it's something that it's been happening over years. And so it was just a matter of time that the MonsterVerse version, um, which traditionally has, he's been a good guy in these films, would eventually get uh, to the point where he's, uh, he's a little bit more, you know, slightly villainous. And, you know, I kind of lucked out uh, in that sense, because um, if you get the bad version of Godzilla, you get to show him blowing a lot more stuff up. So, <laughs> <laughs> You know, everybody told me to watch this movie on the biggest screen possible, but we have a baby. So I ended up watching it like under the covers on a tiny phone, wearing good headphones, at least. Yeah. And I'm totally immersed. Like, it's one of those movies where it's easier for me to believe that you found a giant lizard and a giant ape than it is to understand how you made them look so realistic. So when you got this script, what's the first thing you did? Did you storyboard? Did you, what did you do? Well, the, the script actually didn't exist when I came on. So it was just a, um, an outline um, uh, that uh, had been created in a writer's room by Terry Rossio, the writer of Shrek and the Pirates of the Caribbean films. It goes all the way back to Aladdin. And 
Um, and so there was just this sort of um, basic outline that existed and uh, the action scenes were all just like mainly just the setting and maybe one or two things like the ocean battle for instance was like and this is going to be like nothing you've ever seen before kong will jump from you know battleship to battleship and you know godzilla and kong will fight on an aircraft carrier and it's going to be great you know it's kind of the vibe and the first thing i did was before i even got into the technical details was i thought oh you know is you know, I mean, obviously we're making Godzilla versus Kong. So credibility is not necessarily in terms of, you know, believing that this is real. It's not necessarily like the highest priority, but, you know, we didn't want to do things that were just so absurd that it would take people out of the film. And so my first instinct when I read that was like, really, couldn't Godzilla and King Kong fit on an aircraft carrier? And so I, I actually uh, worked with the art department a little bit. You know, uh, my friend Tom Hammock, he came on board this movie. He's been my one of my most consistent collaborators over the years since here next. And um, and, you know, he showed me a graph, right, where it had a picture of a aircraft carrier and it had the feet, you know, how long it is. And then Godzilla and King Kong, as we know them in the MonsterVerse and how big they are, you know, and how big they are in our version. And so I was kind of surprised that, yes, you know, they're big enough to fit on an aircraft carrier. OK, great. You know, not the end of the world if they weren't, but I'm glad to know that they can. And then they even took it a step further and the art department did a, um, a weight study of Godzilla and Kong. I mean, there's obviously no way that you can, um, you know, uh, actually accurately say how much these characters would weigh. We don't know what they're really made of necessarily, but in terms of a height ratio, you know, and it's kind of an estimation, you know, they brought it in and they said, listen, you know, like what an aircraft carrier could handle would technically be able to handle Godzilla and King Kong. Right. And, um, and that's really funny because, it actually makes kind of kind of sense. It's like when you first see that visual, it's like it's a it's just such a fun visual. It's like to see monsters on an aircraft carrier fighting is just it's 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 hilarious. It's it's immediate, you know, and it kind of all it kind of says everything you want to say about why you should watch this movie. You know, if this is your bag, this is it right here. But um you know, like uh, what what's interesting though is when you really think about the details about that and the reality of it, it's like, you know, if t if you had two humans, um, or let's say like let's make it a little bit closer to the monsters. If you had two uh, grizzly bears on, you know, a rowboat, the rowboat's not going to sink. You know, it's gonna it might push into the water, but even a small boat is is still not going to sink. And you know, if you think about the size ratios and stuff, it, it actually makes sense. So, long story short, I, I know this is not exactly the question you asked, but you know, these are the type of thoughts that start popping in your head right away when you're making a movie like this, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out like, okay, what's too much, you know, and, uh, and, and what's just right. What's the sweet spot and what just doesn't matter at all. Because at the end of the day, this is Godzilla and Kong and it's about entertaining people. You know, uh, you just hit on something I thought about many times watching the movie, exactly how tall is Kong and exactly how tall is Godzilla. And if you can relay their weights without offending them, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're both, um, uh, you know, what? actually, I don't want to necessarily conflict with um, anything that uh, the marketing people are putting out there in terms of the, uh, the sizes of the monsters. What I will say is that when we were making the movie, um, I think the asset sizes were about, I think that uh, Godzilla was around 350 uh, feet tall. And I don't remember the exact size of Kong. 
Um, but I know that he was always a head shorter than Godzilla, like an actual Kong head shorter, which is much bigger than Godzilla's head, obviously. Um, but he was always, you know, a head shorter. I remember it was the way that uh, I thought about him. And, you know, the, the reason I don't want to like back myself into a corner here with this is that the Godzilla fans love this kind of stuff. You know, they, 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 they love seeing the, the sizes, the weights and, um, you know, all that stuff. And they keep up with it and they're, they're, they've been asking me and stuff, but it's one of those things where like, I know, I know how tall they are in general, but in terms of giving you an actual um, numerical figure, um, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to conflict with anything that's out there. <laughs> This is a movie where one of the only ways you can go wrong is by not going crazy enough. <laughs> like you said, we want to see them on an aircraft carrier. We want to see them in a futuristic, awesome city. <clears throat> we want to see the thing that happens near the end that I don't know whether we should disclose and we'll get into that. Um, was there anything where you went, you know what, this is just too boring. We need to go wilder. Um, let's see. You know, that was never a problem necessarily because uh, so much crazy stuff happens in the movie. I mean, it was there. That was never an issue. I mean, it maybe it was an issue with um, the human storyline where we thought, OK, you know, we're we're getting too far away from what the monsters are doing. And so my main focus always was trying to make sure that this movie was as densely entertaining as possible. And what that really amounts to is densely filled with monsters as we could possibly make it yeah. and uh with that said it's really it, there's a funny thing when you're talking about this film as a director is that you're constantly talking about it in terms of the human stories which sometimes feels like a bad word when you say humans in association with this type of film and then the monster stories and i'm realistic I, you know I came onto this movie to make a monster film. I wanted, you know, I wanted to work with Godzilla and Kong as actors, you know, and, um, but at the same time, and I know that audiences are coming to this to see Godzilla and Kong, but at the same time you have um, the human story, which is integral to telling the story that we're doing. And, and it's so bizarre for, 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 like I say, sometimes to talk about the human story, like it's a dirty word because we're talking about some of the best actors alive right now that I got a chance to work with, like yeah. Rebecca Hall, Alexander Skarsgård, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Damien Bashir. You know, it's just like, you know, Millie Bobby Brown. I think she's incredible. She, you know, like, so I'm, I'm getting to work with all these people, but it, to a certain degree, it's a thankless job. And I feel bad for them to a certain degree because no matter what they did, it's never going to be enough because they're not giant 300 foot tall plus monsters. You know, they never will be. Um, no matter how hard they try and strain, they're not going to be that. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, there's always going to be criticism, you know, leveled at that. Like, how, how, how can we get less of these humans, these pesky humans, um, that, and, and more of the monsters? And, um, and you know, and that's something that I was always wrestling with. And, 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 and like you say, just trying to keep it from being boring, you know. So we always tried to keep the, 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 the characters in the film as colorful and as interesting as possible. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud of the stuff that we did. And I'm really proud of them as actors. Are you a big Kurt Vonnegut fan by any chance? Um, I've only read one Kurt Vonnegut book. Um, and so I wouldn't say so, but I'm also like, uh, like the, the type of reading I do is generally nonfiction reading. You know, I, I tend to read a lot of books about serial killers and, um, and uh, conspiracies and, um, and, and those kind of things. So that, that, you know, so I don't end up reading actually quite a lot. Why, why do you ask? Well, you said something in a variety interview about 
really trying to not waste the reader's time, which is a tenant of Vonnegut, making sure that everything that you include is really interesting and, you know, that you're not just, you know, babbling on and keep and boring them. And like I'm doing right now, um, you, you kept it really tight. You made a two hour movie uh, that obviously could have been a longer movie and you eliminated any fluff or any nonsense or anything that might've been easier for you to shoot in favor of stuff that I imagine was very difficult to shoot, but very fun to watch. Yeah. And I just like that aesthetic. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's like, I was all like when, when the, the, the running time for this film was first announced um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and, you know, obviously this film's under two hours slightly. And I remember a lot of the Godzilla fans were like, upset about that they immediately hit me up and was like well what's going on here with this this is the shortest of the monsterverse movies um you know like when's the director's cut is there plans for a director's cut and stuff and i'm like this is the director's cut you know it's like people have this perception that directors always want their movies to be longer you know and i'm the type of guy that if i have a director's cut it's probably going to be shorter i've thought about like revisiting some of my older movies like a horrible way to die which was one of the first films i did because i look at it and i just was like this is 10 minutes too long you know like um and i know that i would change that nowadays and so my version of director cut is very different than the Zack snyder version which is four hours long you know um and and i'm not criticizing that one way or the other i'm just saying that that's that's my approach is like i i wanted this movie to be as densely entertaining as possible and the thing is is like you know uh, and i've said this before in other interviews is that if you add another hour to this film you know you're not going to get extra monsters you're going to get an hour extra of people talking and you know and i i'm just not a fan of like you know popcorn movies you know um being two and a half hours long because it feels like they have like six acts to them for some reason you know but it's not like there's anything profound necessarily going on in a lot of them they're just long and to me it feels more born out of kind of laziness than it does um uh, like actually, you know, trying to give the audiences more. It just means that they can be looser with their editing sometimes. And, uh, and you know, and maybe maybe sometimes I feel like my movies do move it. I mean, I, like at a ADD kind of um, light speed pace, but I also think that's the charm of the movies and that's what makes them stand out. And, you know, it's not like I'll always make movies at this kind of pacing, but when it comes to Godzilla versus Kong, it's like, like I said, like I just wanted to keep it as densely entertaining as possible. And that was the way to do it. Yeah. Were there specific Godzilla movies and specific Kong movies that you watched and borrowed from heavily? And can you sort of talk about the specific movies and what you took from them? Yeah, I mean, like I would say in terms of the Godzilla films, the, the biggest inspiration that I probably got was from... Well, I mean, just in general, all the Showa era movies, which have much more of a psychedelic, colorful tone. Yeah. Those, those were always very inspirational. There's obvious direct... Uh, homages and references to uh, the original King Kong versus Godzilla. Um, so in an obvious way, we, we, we hit those directly. But the other Godzilla film that I would reference, uh, the other two, I should say, would be Godzilla versus Destroyer, which is the 95 one where they killed Godzilla off briefly to make room for the Hollywood version. And um, and that movie just, it's the juxtaposition of music and images. You know, like I love that... Um, the, the sequence when that movie really comes to life and it just stays amazing from this point on is whenever the little baby Godzilla Jr. dies and Godzilla's mourning for it. And it's still, you know, it's just a guy in a suit. It's all that kind of stuff. But like with the music going with it, it's just, it, it made me like cry when I first watched it. It was like so 
manipula manipulatively um uh successful you know like the music the juxtaposition of that and all that it was just so amazing and i thought you know that that's just such a testament to these characters and and the way that it was able to kind of um accentuate this kind of uh, nostalgia you know for the whole franchise in just like a couple minutes um towards the end of that movie was really powerful and then the other one would be Shin Godzilla, and the the um, I think that's a really great movie. You know, it's it's a film that really feels like a true, updated version of Godzilla for the Japanese audiences. It was just fantastic. I had I was, you know, very surprised and um, didn't know what to expect, and so I was like um, really blown away when I realized that the monsters that you're seeing at the beginning of that film turns out to be um, not the villain, it's actually just Godzilla. It's the new version of Godzilla. And that was really cool and he's really gross. And I like that he looks like a weird deep sea creature, but those weren't the inspirations I took from. They're really the, just the kind of direct homage that I took from that film was the way that they do um, Godzilla's special nuclear breath in that film. It's treated much more like these, these lasers, you know? And I just love the vibe of that. And ever since I was a kid, I was obsessed with every time Godzilla used the atomic breath, I just wanted to see more of it. You know, I just always thought it was so cool. And so um, when it came time for me to do my own Godzilla movie, I was, you know, if anything, like he probably uses a nuclear breath more in my film than he does in any of the movies because he's just constantly using it because I love it. Um, but I tried to give it less of a fire breathing dragon look. And I always wanted it to give more of a laser kind of feel like in um, Shin Godzilla. So I would say that was like sort of a very direct homage that I can point to, but they were all very inspirational. It was very worth watching. You know, like I mentioned this in a lot of interviews before that I, you know, before I even got started on this film, I sat down and watched all the Godzilla and King Kong movies in chronological order. And that was just so beneficial to get an overview of what this whole thing was, how it evolved over the years and the different feelings in the different eras, you know, because obviously you got the 60s and 70s and that feels like one kind of complete, you know, section. And then you have the 80s and 90s and that's one other kind of section. And then you have the 2000s and you know, so it, it's interesting to see how like paired up in different eras, the, the the approach to the character has been over the years. And then of course, now I'm a part of that with the MonsterVerse, the, uh, the Americanized version of it. And um, yeah. How, just for complete dummies like myself who have no idea how you did this, what is it? Is it motion capture? Is it all CGI? It looks so much better than most movies of this type. And I'm not just because you're here blowing smoke. I mean, it really, it really did look good to me. It really was persuasive. Well, thank you. I mean, I think part of that is, is like, I mean, you know, I just had to say, I kind of lucked out coming in doing a big movie like this at a time when I think VFX are just at such a point where the detail level is so extreme and you can communicate so many things to, you know, the VFX department and they can, you know, bring it to life. And, you know, um, it's it's yeah it's I think it's it's a bit as simple as that and it's like it's a it's a different skill for me um, as a director because it, it's akin to sort of doing a animated movie I would say because large chunks of these sequences there's nothing real on screen at all even the environments um, totally made up I mean you know you look at Hong Kong Hong Kong exists there's a couple of shots of the real city here and there there's some on the ground level for sure uh, but for the most part when you're seeing them fighting in the city that's all fake you know it's 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 our version of hong kong and as a matter of fact like 
I think some people were kind of confused early on. Um, some of the, you know, the, the Godzilla fans who were very stickler for like the size and, you know, being consistent with that. They looked at Godzilla and they said, what's the deal with him? He looks smaller in this movie in certain scenes. And um, I think that's partially due because of Hong Kong, because we never changed the asset size. We always tried to stay true to what the actual size of the character was at all times. Um, but the, our version of Hong Kong is this sort of, it, it's not Hong Kong as it exists now. It's this heightened futuristic version of it with yeah. these mega skyscrapers. So the city itself is actually taller and bigger and there's more skyscrapers and there's way more neon than exists in reality. Um, but, um, but that's because we, we put it there and, you know, cause we're controlling the environment in its entirety for the most part, we had to create it all. Um, but in terms of the monster's emotion, I mean, a lot of that was really, you know, it, you know, I always have to give credit to the animators because they're, they're just such brilliant people and there's different methodologies they're using for different scenes. Um, but from my, my perspective as a director, I'm never sitting there directing an actor and saying, act like this. It's like, it, 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 it's really like directing animation. I'm talking to my VFX supervisor. He's got, you know, an army of um, people with laptops and they're all taking notes so that they don't miss anything, you know, so you have multiple people taking notes and we're in a room you know, after we've done a storyboard process and we've done, um, you know, animatics, previs, all those things that get the sort of animation at a rudimentary level. But then when we start talking about the emotions of it, some of that's baked in just by the, the motion of the feeling of this thing. But when you start getting to the facial expressions, a lot of times it just really was born from a discussion. And sometimes I'd be acting things out for him, you know. Uh, but by and large, it's like we hired... Uh, companies like Weta to to handle most of the, the the major Kong effects in the film, especially the more emotional stuff, um, because they had so much experience with you know kind of primate style things. Um, you know they did you know obviously Peter Jackson's King Kong, they did the Planet of the Apes films, so we knew that they kind of had a feeling um, how to kind of get to the heart of what these creatures were, and they just really did a great job with that. Like it, it, just having little discussions with them, they always seemed to understand what I was looking for, you know, and I, I always took a lot of inspiration from my own cat mischief. Uh, that's the name of a cat. And, uh, you know, so the, like I had my own inspirations in real animals and things, but it was more of a dialogue and less of a, I'm directly, um, uh, you know, um, uh, directing an actor with, with motion cap and stuff. And, and there was motion cap and things like that. Uh, that they were doing, but uh, it was always done kind of over in New Zealand and then presented to me. And then I give notes based on what they've done. Uh, there's a big reveal. I, I know you've kind of alluded to it elsewhere. I, I guess we should just decide whether you want to talk about it or not. Do you want to say what the big reveal is? Is this the uh, the, the Mechagodzilla portion of the movie? Yeah, we can, we can talk about it. It's out there. I mean, it's in the trailer for the Chinese trailer. You can actually see them a little bit. Yeah. You know, the toys have been on the shelves for weeks. You know, I, I kind of got a lot of um, flack a little bit for not po posting a spoiler page in front of my um, picture of Mechagodzilla, you know, that I posted on my Instagram. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, the WB and the marketing people, they, they, they asked me to post a picture with it because, you know, they've sent me all these toys and stuff. And, um, 
and I kind of, you know, I'm a little social media literate, so I should have, I should have done that. But at the end of the day, it's like, look, it's barely a spoiler. I mean, he's literally in the first trailer in America. You're supposed to see him in that. It's supposed to be like, we didn't want to give away what he looks like in the movie totally. Yeah. Um, but we wanted people to know that there's a little hint of him. And um, so, uh, but yeah, I've just now started talking about it because he's in it, but you know, people still don't know what, what he really looks like necessarily. I mean, a toy is one thing but the experience of having him in the movie is, is, is very different. He's complete. I'm glad to know he's a, he, um, he's <laughs> completely awesome. Like I, better than whatever people are imagining. It's so much cooler. And I was really wondering whether you deliberately included little bits in the trailer for us to find and knew yeah. that we would on them. We, we absolutely did. And I thought that was so brilliant when I saw the first cut of the uh, the trailer when it was presented to me by um, the marketing department. And uh, I remember I watched the trailer and in, in, you know, the first time I watched the trailer, I was kind of just like, you know, stunned. At first it was like, I don't know about this Chris Classic song, like what <laughs> what is going on here, you know? And then I rewatched it and then I was like, okay, I get the tone, this is fun. I was like, what this, what this song is telling me is that this movie is not gonna be a somber, you know, kind of, you know, kind of thing. It's like, it's telling people, it's like, this is going to be big, ridiculous and insane, you know? And it's like, okay, that's exactly what people need to know going into this. So, you know, the first couple of times I watched the trailer, that was like, I had to kind of like process that, right? Cause that's very different. I mean, that piece of music is very different from anything in my movie, but somehow it works and it, you know, and it set the right stage for us. And then, the uh the 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 a couple times later i went back and watched it and i thought wait a second was mecha godzilla in this trailer i was like they, they there's the shot of the people running i was like how did we not see them because i was so overwhelmed all i saw was you know i just wasn't thinking about it and so then i went back and i saw you know the couple frames that he's 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 in it you don't see him directly but you can tell it is him and I thought, well, that's really brilliant that they did that because it's not over. It's not something that even I, who am very familiar with that shot, you know, uh, uh, you know, I've seen it a million times at this point, um, even thought about when I first saw the trailer. And I thought it's so clever because, you know, nowadays you just know, especially because of the movie, um, the trailer really only existing online. It never really played in theaters, at least for a while. Um, that people are going to scrutinize every single frame. And so it makes it, it, it just makes it more exciting that it's like it's like we didn't just like throw it out there. It's 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 always been kind of um, just underneath the surface. And by the way, the whole Mechagodzilla thing, it's like, you know, I don't want to talk about it too much even right now because, you know, I want to give people as much surprise as possible. But I will say, I mean, it's like this leaked um like two years ago or something. I mean, like there, as soon as the toys were created, there was like a toy fair thing. Um, and uh, I think this was like in 2019, even I, I, don't, I don't remember how early it was. It's been a long time. And I remember there, there were some blurry images of him. So he, he's been out there for a long time. It's like the worst kept secret, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> you also, you mentioned the Chris classic song and I, I'd never heard of him before this. And it was one of those songs that stood out so much that I went and Googled it and learned about him. And I guess his thing is kind of creating songs specifically for licensing for music. And 
Well, see, I, I didn't even know that. I, I was familiar with it because I knew I'd, I felt like I had heard his music um, in other trailers or something. So there was like a feeling of familiarity, even though, yeah, I never actually sat down and listened to any of this stuff and still haven't to right now. But like I uh, uh, but yeah, my association with with Chris Classic is is movie trailers and, and that kind of thing, uh, even though I can't pinpoint what other trailers it's been. in, I just know that as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, this feels like we're selling kind of a Fast and Furious movie. And it's like, oh, that's exactly what we should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was actually a great choice. I, it really worked for me. It, it got my attention, which I guess is the goal. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the trailer enthusiasm for the trailer was insane. Like it wasn't. Yeah. Well, no, it really was. And it's like, you know, and, and it came at such a good point because I was at a pretty dark point for me. I was very depressed because this was only um, a month after uh, the HBO Max thing was initially announced. And um, uh, if you don't mind, I can talk a little bit about my experience with the whole HBO Max because Please, yeah. it's been a saga, you know, Um and uh, so, you know, obviously, like Godzilla versus Kong was supposed to come out in November um, of last year. And it was pretty clear, obviously, when the pandemic hit that that was going to affect us. And we didn't know how it's like initially we, they moved us even further into this year. But, you know, there was just always this feeling of just unsureness. And it's like it, and to live with that for so long has been very difficult for me because I put so much of myself and my time and all my effort into making this film. I have so much writing on it that, you know, for this, just to not know what's going on next is just very hard. And um, so here we come, you know, in December 3rd, which is my birthday. Literally, it's my birthday. And I was driving to Las Vegas um, to spend the day in Las Vegas and um, just try to, you know, just get out of town for a day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm driving there and I get a text message from my agent and it says um, immediately incoming uh, HBO Max announcement um, uh, of of all the movies uh, are going to streaming um you know, this year. And I'm like, what, what, what is this? You know? And then as soon as he sent that, I checked, um, uh, like I, I went online and I just like searched, I don't remember what I searched, but immediately all these articles had just come up. So literally I think he got the word that the HBO max thing was coming down the road about 30 seconds before it, it hit the web. Right. And so here I am on my birthday, just like, what, what, what's going on? You know, like, what, what's going on with the movie? What, we're a streaming movie now? Like, what is this? You know, I mean, like, I made this movie as the ultimate theatrical experience with the two biggest monsters of all time to fill up the biggest screens that you could find. And so to find this out was just like absolutely devastating. And I just, it was, I, I was in shock for a little while. And, you know, and there's also the added element of just the way that it was announced and stuff that it just felt like, you know, like what's going on? We just didn't know. Yeah. And so I wrestled with that for a little while and it was very, it was very upsetting and disruptive. And, you know, and I, I, I just, I spent a lot of time kind of depressed because I would just get these like little pockets of just like, just a bummer, just like, oh man, there's all this work. And now it's just going to get tossed out there. Um, with that said, obviously the pandemic is still going on. And so I had to be kind of realistic, you know, it's like, well, things are just so different, but then you come to, you know, the second or whatever week of January when the trailer dropped and everything completely changed for me. My whole perspective changed. 
and it totally, you know, sucked me out of my depression and kicked me in the ass. Right. And what, what it was, was that morning when the trailer dropped, I had zero expectation of the trailer. I barely remembered it was coming out that day. It was like, Oh, this will be cool. Finally, people can see what we've done, you know? Uh, but I wasn't, I didn't really have any big expectations of it. I thought maybe I'll spend the morning seeing what people are saying online and, you know, um, and then just go about my business. But it turned into this incredible celebration for me where like, you know, as the day went on, like, you know, I was like, fuck it, I'm buying champagne and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Cause what happened was, is that almost immediately people started filming these reaction videos um, of themselves um, reacting to uh, the trailer. And, you know, and those are, you know, something that people have been doing for a while now, but like there was just this unbelievable enthusiasm for the film. And I think part of it has to do because like people haven't had a big studio blockbuster come out in a long time and, you know, all those kind of things. And, um, but the big, the big turning point for me on all of this stuff was I was watching all these people just being so excited by the film um, and they're watching, they're filming themselves watching the trailer on their laptop, right? And even some of the reaction videos, people are filming themselves watching it on their iPhone and they're still losing their minds. And so when I saw that, I was like, you know what? Like, it doesn't matter, you know, how people see the movie ultimately, because like a lot of my favorite films were made before I was born. Yeah. I haven't seen them in the theater and I still love them. Right. A good movie is a good movie. Even if it's meant to be the most epic film, you can still enjoy it no matter what, if it appeals to you in a very specific way. And, um, and so, you know, when I took that into account and I thought about, you know, we are living in just like crazy circumstances with the pandemic, I sort of just kind of was like, you know what, like, it's going to be fine. It's like people who can see in the theater are going to see in the theater. But at the end of the day, I think people are going to enjoy this thing for what it is. And, 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 I, and I think it means a lot to people to have a big Hollywood popcorn movie, you know, come out again. I mean, you know, some people just want like, you know, as they say, a big, dumb Hollywood movie. And it's like, if you want to like classify that, is that fine with me? You know what I mean? Because if, if it makes you happy and it's giving you something to look forward to, it's like, that's what we need. We need to get these things out there because nothing is going to give us a feeling of the world going back to normal and giving us that comfort more than big Hollywood spectacle film. That is the ultimate um, uh, reflection of uh of, of, of what our normal reality uh, looks like, you know? <laughs> well, I mentioned, I watched this on a little phone as, as Warner Brothers owner AT&T intended, I guess. Um, but I did wear really good headphones. And I think because of the sound design of this movie, it still really worked because you feel the weight of the characters. I mean, you feel yeah. the impact of things in a way that I don't know if you would on a bad TV or on a laptop. It, I think, the well, sound you know, like, I mean, as a matter of fact, yeah, you're probably going to get just as good an experience in headphones as you would in a big theater. I mean, because it, it's so intimate and loud, you know, you're going to get, you know, it may not be the full, you know, Dolby Atmos kind of thing. But yeah, that you know, watching anything on a headphone is going to be, you know, a pretty, pretty great experience. So <laughs> without getting into the actual numbers, do you take a financial hit when it goes to streaming instead of going to theaters? Um, that, would be well, that, that, that was, you know, that's a whole nother element to it, you know, that you're dealing with as a director and, you know, and it's not that you're definitively taking a financial hit, but there's more of a chance that you're going to take a financial hit. And so, you know, that being factored into it, that's just another element of just like, you know, uh, you know, you know, 
throwing, you know, uh, throwing more fire on it, you know what I mean? And so, uh, but, but we worked everything out and we're, we're, you know, we're in good shape and, you know, like, um, at the end of the day, it's like, I really respect Christopher Nolan for coming out. It was like, you know, it's not like he's like talking about Godzilla versus Kong specifically, but when he made that announcement, I just, it was like, it felt so comforting to me because it was like, somebody's speaking up for the people who are kind of involved in this thing. And it's, it was really nice, you know, but at the end of the day, I also, you know, empathize with Warner Brothers at the same time. It's like, you know, here we are trying to figure out how to put movies out there, but it's such a financial risk. And it's like, we can't ignore that as well. And so I know that they're in a, a hard spot. It was more like hard because of the way they handled it, the way that they just kind of surprised everybody with it, that it was, yeah. you know, that's, that was really the problem. And that's what Christopher Nolan, I think was really responding to, you know, more than almost anything. It's, it was just, there was a feeling that um, everyone was kind of disrespected, but Ultimately, in the in the grand scheme of things, I think they're doing the right thing, you know, because if this is how this is, if this is the only way that they're going to feel comfortable getting movies out there, this is the only way that, you know, we're going to get movies going again, we have to figure out some sort of methodology that gets the best of both worlds, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing, but I, I think they're doing, I think they're doing the right thing. And, you know, and also, they're putting their money where their mouth is because you look at just yesterday, wasn't it, that they announced that they're not going to do any more day and day, you know, hybrid, you know, HBO Max streamings in 2022. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really cool. And they're, and they're announcing that at the same time that, um, you know, Disney's pushing more things into next year, you know? So it's like Warner Brothers has a lot to prove at this point, you know, to, to make up and show that, you know, they are still the filmmaker friendly company that, um, that they are, but, you know, I have another project lined up with Warner Brothers after this um, that that'll be announced pretty soon, and um, and and the reason is is because you know we 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 work stuff out, and um, you know, and 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 I want to believe that uh, you know they that they are still the company that they've always claimed to be in terms of being a filmmaker friendly uh, place. Well, the last thing I got to ask about is Face Off. Um, I know you're remaking it. I love that movie. One reason I love it so much is at a certain point, Cage and Travolta just start doing each other. Yes. And they're kind of savage. They're kind of roasting each other. Yeah. Can you talk about what you're, and this is my last question, just who you're planning to cast and whether you're planning to go for that dynamic again? Well, I mean, that's the fun thing about Face Off is that it, it really is a movie about Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. It's like the surgery itself is you know, what makes it fun, the, you know, but Face Off isn't about the surgery. It's about the characters that they created as Sean Archer and Castor Troy. And, and that's the, that's, that's the, that's the, the, um, the thread that we're following for the sequel. We're, we're saying like, okay, well, you know, how does this dynasty develop, you know, uh, in the future? And, um, you know, and, and so it's not a reboot, it's not a remake or any of that kind of stuff that people hypothesized over. It's, it's, it's a direct sequel to those films. And I think we found a very clever way in. And um, yeah, it's hard to talk about it too much without giving anything away. All I can say is I'm just really excited because I, this is gonna be a great opportunity for me to finally be able to sort of in an experimental way say, I wanna do a movie, you know, that feels like it's a lost John Woo film. I wanna, I wanna film it, I wanna, you know, I'm gonna be, I've been studying all my life, but like even specifically when I'm gonna hire my cinematographer, we're gonna sit down and we're just gonna watch 
all the John Woo movies that we can. And we're going to try to get that same camera work, the vibe, you know, I want that kind of like um, John Woo, Hong Kong sincerity, you know, that he brought to it, you know, and that, uh, you know, obviously we like Simon Barrett and I've been writing the script and Simon is just one of the funniest people I've ever met. And so the sense of humor that we're bringing to it, I think is like exactly what you want from Face Off. Cause I find Face Off to be an absolute hilarious movie. It is very funny. And it, and, it, and it's brilliant because it, 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 follow, it, it, it threads this line, you know, of just like being so close to being campy and so close to being self-aware, but never going too far in either direction. It's very funny. Um, and it just always winks just enough, but it does just enough stuff that's super sincere that gets you in that kind of unself-aware zone that makes a, you know, a good action movie good, you know, because if a movie winks too much and it's too clever for its own good, then you just kind of feel like, well, what's the point? Because if the movie's aware of itself, I don't believe the reality and face-off is like this you know, perfect tonal matchup where it just hits a sweet spot where sometimes you can't tell even if it's joking, but you're, it doesn't even matter because you're having such a blast and the actors really are doing top-notch work. They're so fun to watch. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. You know, it's, it's, it's a tall order. Um, it's, it's very ambitious just from the perspective of that, it, you know, Face Off really is one of my favorite films. And I think it means a lot to a lot of people, but you know, who doesn't want more of that? If we can give the audiences more, it's like, this is almost like the last chance to even try something like this. So um, we're going to try and do it, you know? <laughs> I love it. I could talk about Fast Off for another hour, but I know you've got other stuff to do. So thank you so much. I just really appreciate it. And congratulations on Godzilla vs. Kong. Awesome Thank movie. you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. That was the very cool Adam Wingard, director of Godzilla vs. Kong, which you can check out in theaters or HBO Max on Wednesday. Thank you very much to him. Thank you also to my mom for instilling a love of Godzilla and Kong in my entire family. Please visit us whenever you like at moviemaker.com. We'd be grateful if you would leave us some stars on Apple or wherever you review podcasts. We also have a print edition. Uh, we wrapped the latest issue last night. It's very good, I'm not gonna lie has some great stuff in it. No monsters, but very good nonetheless. I will see you back here on Wednesday, where one of my guests will be David Fincher. See you very soon. Thank you very much for listening.